0: Hey there. It's Raleigh. I want to catch you before this episode to tell you about our new and improved bonus podcast, More Mercy. Each week I break down a MercyCast episode and show how it not only intersects with scripture, but how it impacts our daily lives. This short devotional episode is only $3 a month, which is like $4 less than a cup of coffee at the Mermaid Place. To access it, all you have to do is click the link in the show notes. Remember, no matter what you're going through, there's always more mercy. And now, On with the show. Welcome to the Mercy Cast, where we're learning the art of compassion through the adversity of life. I'm your host, Raleigh Sadler. And you may not know this about me, but several years ago, I got my start in collegiate ministry. I was a college pastor at a historically black college and university in West Virginia, and it was there. Where I'll never forget, one of the deans of the school, who was also a pastor, pulled me aside and said, You can proclaim the gospel. But what does it look like to demonstrate the gospel? What does it look like to do the work of justice and mercy in your community and lead people along the same way? And this changed my outlook. This changed the way I viewed ministry completely. And this led to me feeling a call into the anti trafficking work of Let My People Go. And so in many ways, my life changed at this HBCU because here I am, a campus minister who's Caucasian, who's also trying to understand the situation of students who are coming from really around the world, but also many different ethnic perspectives and backgrounds. It became the work of, of listening and learning for me rather than telling and showing. And as I did this, my life changed. My perspectives widened and God really opened up a new ministry that I would have never pictured when I was in seminary. And so for me, having the opportunity to talk about ethnic reconciliation today is something that's near and dear to my heart. But it's also a work that can be hard, as we know. This is not an easy work. Jamal was depleted between pursuing ethnic reconciliation in his church and the day-to-day complexities of leading a megachurch, he had to take a break. And so as he took a few steps back, he opened a book of Psalms and just really dove in, just started reading. And not only was the book of Psalms open, but his eyes were opened, and something new was on its way. Today, I'm joined by Jamal Williams. He's the lead pastor of Sojourn Church Midtown in Louisville, Kentucky, and the president of the Harbor Network. He's also the co-author of a new book, In Church, As It Is in Heaven. Jamal, welcome to the MercyCast. Hey, thanks for having me, brother. I'm glad to be here. So I've known you a few years, and I've always really just been encouraged by your heart and your passion for people. Because, you know, when, when you're a pastor or you're leading anything, it's very easy to kind of lose sight of people. And that's one thing I feel like I've never seen in your life you've always been focused on people but you also have that focus on yourself you know that there are times where you I'm like I need to take a step back if I'm going to love somebody I need to focus on me
1: for about 5 minutes so I can get right is is that has that been your experience Absolutely. Absolutely, man. That's been my experience. I'm an introvert by, by nature. Most people are surprised to hear that when they as a result of just being around me, maybe in public. I love people. I do, man. I think that each person is just like a a galaxy just to explore. <laughs> right, right? right. People are so interesting to me. And I can just like get lost in them and their ideas. But man, that's a withdrawal from me. So uh for as much time as I am with people, I need to probably spend two to three times by myself. And so even in looking at the ministry of Jesus, we see his rhythms of both work and engaging people, but also rest.
0: Jesus wasn't doing 50 work weeks and then two weeks off. There was this rhythm of kind of rest, ritual, relationships, where he was constantly, okay, I'm going to sit a few plays out here. Now I'm going to connect with some people. But I'm I'm kind of like you. I would describe myself as a social introvert. Like I love that's people right. until I don't.
1: That's, what, that's, right. <laughs> until that's I right. I don't. Yeah, yeah. My wife, she teases me. She uh, tells me uh, and reminds me that I've got a word count for each day. So if we're at home and we know we're going to have a long night with friends, she'd be like, "Hey, man, don't use too many words. We don't want you to hit your word count too early, and you stop talking at this at this event tonight." So,
0: and that's so real. That happened to me this weekend. I'm hanging out with some friends. And I just go quiet at the end of the night, and it's like 11 o'clock, and I'm just quiet. And they're like, You good? You good? I'm like, Yeah, yeah, I'm fine. Uh You you good? I'm just listening. I just, I was, I was, I was introverted, man. I couldn't, I didn't have any more to give. I was like, I
1: think I'm ready to go home. That's right. That's right. right.
0: Well, you're sitting there, you take a break, you have Uh the day to day complexities of the church, you're doing the job, you're really connecting people, and that takes a toll. And you're reading the Psalms. What Psalm were you reading?
1: Yeah, man, that's a great question. So this is a time in my life, 2018. I've been at this church for two years, was previously pastoring a historic African-American church. Uh, That's a story for another day. The Lord called my wife and I across town to an all-white church. And we come in. It's 2016. Great year for ethnic reconciliation, right? (laughs) And there's some leadership adjustments and changes. And two years in to just kind of pastoring there, my soul was tired. The elder said, hey, you need some extra time off the summer. So I took mm. about six weeks off total, four weeks from just everything. And uh, yeah, so I'm getting, I get away. And I remember just telling the Lord, like, Lord, I just feel so spiritually dry. I feel numb uh, to you. I, I'm desperate for you. I need to see you. And someone just told me, just open up the Psalms and just read until I can't read anymore. And I just started reading the Psalms and I'm in one sitting in chapter 19. I hit chapter 19 and it talks about how the law of the Lord revives the soul and how the word of God brings renewal. And it's as if at that second, God just snapped his fingers and it just feels like my heart came alive to him and my eyes just was, was open. And I just felt this rushing of renewal just hit me. And it was one of those spiritual experiences that don't happen often. um, They may only happen a few times in your life where you're just like, man, the Lord is here with me right now. Something is happening. And yeah, that was Psalm 19.
0: And what I love about this is this wasn't something that you worked up. You were tired. You didn't have anything to give. And you were just, it was good enough to get your eyes on the page. Yes. And then you hear, yeah. Revival. You hear renewal and then yes. something it was. Was it
1: like a, a switch that was flipped, like something it just shifted? You know, it was something. It feels like a switch was flipped and just felt like the Lord. And this was, I mean, it was an hour and a half, maybe two hours in of just sitting with the Lord, praying, reading the whole psalm. And I wasn't reading it to memorize or even to be meditative. I'm like, I just need the word. I'm going to take in as much as I can. Probably the most I ever read one sitting. And then all of a sudden I get Psalm 19 and it's just. It's as if the Lord just said, okay, you know, as a deer pants for my soul, so my soul pants for you. It's like the Lord just said, okay, it's time for you to drink from the stream of living water. And the Lord just began to minister to me. And And I remember calling the pastor who was an elder in my church. He's an older pastor. I called my pastor, Pastor Brandon, uh, later on at night. And like, he had been praying for me that the Lord would just give me spiritual renewal. And I'm like, I don't know what happened today, but God met. And everything about me feels different. I feel like I have more energy. I feel like, My heart is warm towards him. I feel like the words of of the Bible are just jumping off the page and I just desperately need it.
0: And I think some people, when they think of pastors, they think of people who they've got it figured out. That's right. And anybody who's ever led in a church, we are, we are just as human as anyone else. And we have bad days. We have hard days. Some days we don't, we don't, feel anything we feel numb i love how you described that as you felt numb you, it, you didn't feel like you were where you wanted to be with your relationship during yeah. that time with jesus and so you're sitting there reading yeah. you're listening as you're reading and something shifts and yeah. i think that's so important because as people we especially in ministry we give and we give and we give and if we're not receiving yeah that's right we're going to struggle
1: yeah what I learned from that time and, and just even before, so just space is really important. space and 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 setting that time aside to just do nothing and just to be regularly, but then having a large chunk of space. I'm talking about days, weeks even, and what ends up happening when you create space like that is stuff normally comes up. it gets ugly before it gets better. and I remember taking time that summer. it got ugly before it got better. Uh, one of my a close uh, friend's and mentor, who's mentor, who's older. He said it's kind of like you're riding a, a, a speedboat and you're going really fast, and you don't w- realize that water has gotten in the boat, and then you just stop, and it's like all the water behind you just comes overtakes mm. you, just drenches you, right? And that's kind of what getting space can feel like. You're going, you're going, you find you come to a stop, and then all this stuff comes up that you maybe yeah. have not been attentive to or pressing down. Exactly. And it just, and so that first stage of getting away is often like that. But what I love is how the Lord had just graciously met me through the Psalms and through his words, just reminded me that he's there for me. He'll lead me beside still waters. He'll restore my soul. Right. And
0: so you experience this restoration. Yes. And now you go back to church. Yeah. And how is it different?
1: Man, it was amazing. So. I remember going back to church, being excited to preach that Sunday. I mean, I was fired up. But even before I get to the open, I'm just looking around. I'm like, man, this church is different. And I'm looking at my wife and I said that to her. I'm like, this, like our church has really grown. She's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, man, look at all the different ethnicities here. Look at all this. Look at all this. She's like, this has been, been here. And I had been going so hard for those two years and I took breaks and we were learning, especially in 2017, to take a Sabbath, you know, but leaving for six weeks and then stepping back into it, I got to really appreciate what God was doing and what God was building. And I, you know, people always ask me like, man, what's the number one key to building a multi-ethnic church? And, you know, outside of the answers you would expect, like Jesus and, and, and all these great things, I tell them suffering, getting, pruned, getting beat up a little bit because God was building his church while I was struggling, while I was limping, while I was trying to figure it out. And it took me stepping away and coming back in to actually see the work that he was doing through me and throughout the leaders. That's something I've
0: never seen in a church handbook when it comes to building a multi-ethnic church. I've never seen that piece of suffering, but I would assume that if you got to a point where you're like, I need a break, you're probably experiencing suffering in some way as you were trying to connect people who have various backgrounds. Could you tell me a little about that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. The multi-ethnic work is beautiful work, but I tell people as my pastors, another pastor here, and I like to say multi-ethnic churches have multi-ethnic problems. And especially being an African American pastor in a majority white space, there was just a a lot of learning to be done from me to learn this other culture, but also from our members, as well as our pastors and staff learning my culture. And so it's not easy work. It's hard work. It takes the Holy Spirit to do, to, to put together. But uh, I think that if we're faithfully pursuing Jesus and, and, and seeking to create a culture in a context where people have a gospel-rooted Identity that transcends and simultaneously appreciates their own earthly identities—that which is good, true, and beautiful from their culture—then it's it's worth it. Uh, creating a culture like that where people don't have to check their ethnicity at the door, but can uh, bring what's good, true, and beautiful from their own culture in, and and learn from other cultures is is worth it. But it's hard.
0: Well, it's it's got to be right because we as people can be so divisive. We can, yes. and we can divide within our own ethnic background. We could be yes. like, well, this person's this and this per- like it's all an us and them. And then when you take that to people who have different ethnic backgrounds, I can see how that could be a sticking point in churches, especially when there are things that you don't think about. I mean, you think about it because you wrote a book on it, but a lot of people don't think, how is the worship that we lead Perceived by our congregation, by everyone in our congregation. Yeah, when we do greeting, at as people walk in, how do people receive that? Yeah, you know, as I try to help churches care for those who've experienced severe trauma. Yeah, I'm saying, well, you know, you need to think through the way you greet. I was at a church once, and I was I was the only Caucasian person in the congregation, and they said, "Are there any visitors?" And next thing I know, they handed me a microphone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They're like, where are you from? And, and it was this, it was a beautiful moment. But honestly, I can see how that could make a lot of people feel nervous.
1: Yeah. 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 Those different cultures and 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 bringing, bringing stuff together, it, uh, it's hard work from A to Z. You know, you have to be curious. But even more than that, when I first came to SoulJar, you know, we had to slow down. And look at, okay, we're in a community, a majority white, 99% white church at the time, that's in an area that's 55% is African-American, the six blocks right around our church. And yet we we don't have uh, many African-Americans coming at all. And so even before they step foot into the church, what would be a hindrance? And it's like, well, one, our name, this African-American church vernacular, you don't hear many churches named Sojourn. Uh, especially traditional African American Black churches. Uh, two is our building. It's an old Catholic cathedral that Sojourn flipped back back in 2012, and then had a large section of it that was glass. And so, when people from a community are looking in, they see a coffee station with mostly white people. So, not people that's that's represented from the neighborhood with a name of of a church that I remember talking to one community member was like, "What is a Sojourn? Is that French for something?" Right. So they don't get the name, and that can be intimidating. So we said, right. "Hey, those two things we not, may not be able to change, but let's let's talk about what we what we can change. Um, let's talk about who is standing at the door greeting people. Let's talk about how our worship service is formed and shaped, in the songs that we're singing. Yeah, let's talk about all those those things.
0: And I think as you talk about it, you're probably going to experience some friction, right? Absolutely.
1: Yes, we, we experienced friction. It was a healthy friction. I think one of the things that was most helpful for us as a church, and we talk about this in a book, is we uh, ended up doing a, a qualitative study where we had two members of our church who were sociologists and for a living did qualitative studies. And we had them do a focus group with the minorities that were at our church or even had visited regularly. And we just tracked them now. We had a, a weekend where we spent time with them and we just got in their own words, what they loved about Soul Tower and what was challenging. And if they had any experiences that really hurt them. And we put this together. We also had a couple that was interracial come to our church and visit multiple times. And then they just wrote a report about how they experience our worship service with questions. We put this together. And as elders, we just read it one night t- together. And a lot of our elders, most the majority of them were white. All of them were white, except me and another brother who was Asian. Out of 20 of us just were heartbroken to read personal accounts of people who have visited, things that were said to them, people who had tried community groups and just felt hurt because of jokes that were made or nicknames that were given. And that was a turning point for our church when the elders were like, oh, my, my, my word, what do we do? And we really began to go on this journey to say, how do we create the most welcoming atmosphere for black and brown people and people of different cultures? And how do we help train our members to simply love one another? What does it look like to welcome someone? What does it look like to love them well? What does it look like to ask good questions and to do life together? And so we've been on that journey for eight years now, and we've come a long way. We're not perfect. It's a process. But I'm really pleased that the work that the Lord is doing in our church. Could you paint
0: a picture, kind of give an example of how it was before, and maybe give an example of the same situation, but how it would work out now? Oh, that's
1: a great, 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 great question. Yeah, I think before. I'll just use it before even going to a very specific grainier example, I just use one that's common. Mm-hmm. I think before coming to Sojourn, you probably would have you would have definitely been welcomed and yeah. uh welcomed well. Sojourn is a, a good church, faithful church. Yeah, but absolutely. different cultures welcome differently. So you go to African American culture church. I know when I first came to Sojourn, you're getting a hug from everybody, you know? It's just, hey, you get that side hug and it's just, what's up? We're so glad you're here. And you just feel seen. That wasn't a culture of Souljar. People weren't necessarily speaking, just saying hi, other than the passing of the peace, right? And so creating an atmosphere was like, hey, when you see someone, just slow down and acknowledge. Them. And I think me and others who have a culture where they're a little more uh, pursue people that just became affections. I think that's a regular part of our congregation. Uh, The other thing is just simply like with worship. You know, we believe in gospel-centered, doctrinal music, orthodox music. Sojourner has a history of that. But I think that you had to really be a part of a subculture maybe to appreciate Sojourner's music. And it was extremely wordy. Every song was extremely wordy. I mean, my wife and I's first few Sundays, as, as I'm the pastor. And I'm just like, by the time you preach, you're like, you heard four sermons just through the music. And I'm watching people from the community come, and and I'm thinking, you know, you have, you know, this grandmother who was maybe from the black church tradition who's checking out this new church in her community, and she is like having to read six different stanzas in one song, then the next song where she's probably used to some song with some spiritual meat and substance, but where she can close her eyes at least during the uh, refrain and just sing something simple, like, "'Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus," right? And so we had to say, okay, what does it look like to have balance in our worship, where it's both head and heart? And what does it look like to introduce things like the psalmist? I think a psalm is a psalm 122, 136, where it's just repetitive, right? And over and over, David will say a refrain, let all of Israel say. And then he says, well, the steadfast love of the Lord. The steadfast love of the Lord. Over and over, they're repeating the same thing, and so just training our members, teaching them that just because something is different doesn't mean that it it's wrong, and then teaching about African American worship and why some songs may be more repetitive and how it's not less than. But hey, Grandma, when she goes home through the week and she's taking care of her her kids and her grandkids, or you know. Stepping into a, a a workload that is is harder, right? She can recall that song that we just repeated those few verses over and over that were biblical and gospel centered. And she can pull on that song in the middle of the day and that keeps her. Whereas that one song that we just sung that had six stanzas and everyone was this deep Trinitarian reflection. It had chapters, you know. It had chapters, which has its place, right? <laughs> yeah, it does. And it does. Both and not either or. Right. I agree. I agree. Um, I agree. Yeah. And so we just had to slow down and 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 teach that and and, and introduce songs like that. And that's just with music, that's just with passing of the piece or greeting one another. So but it became a both and, not an either or. Not an either or. And some of it became even... Pictures that were hanging on our wall. It's like, okay, you're talking about having people from our community come and feel welcome. Well, let's look at the five pictures that people are looking at on our wall. And some of them was beautiful pictures. That's historic. And that tells the story of not only Sojourn, but maybe even of the parish that was there before. But if every picture on the wall is all white people in black and white photos smiling, and there's no representation, that can be a barrier too. So you just have to think through things like that and and make sure that you're thinking holistically.
0: And it's exciting to see that your congregation is now being filled with people that are from the neighborhood. Would you agree with me? Like there's a lot of neighborhood influence now?
1: Yeah, there's a good number. I mean, I think there's still barriers. Race is not the only uh, barrier. There's a class barrier. And that's Mm -hmm. an area that we're really trying to grow in. Our neighborhood has changed a lot since 2016. 2016, the neighborhood was 55% African American. Um, it's now, I think, 43% African American. We do have other groups that have moved into our neighborhood and even into our church. So by God's grace, we've got a Latino ministry, a Hispanic ministry. We do live translation doing service now for our Hispanic brothers and sisters. We also have a live Korean. Translation is happening at the same time. We have been able to help plant a Congolese church. We had 12 Congolese persons who wanted a church in this neighborhood and and they grew to almost 150 persons and now they're they're meeting at a different time. The Lord has done a a neat work. We have 23 languages spoken in our church now, which is a lot more than we had in 2016. And so it's a, a beautiful, beautiful thing. We in 2016 had two out of maybe 24, 25 staff persons be people of color. Right now we're about 40%. And a lot of that has just been organic and just a part of us doing life together.
0: And so now there's more representation. Yes. There's not just one person of a certain ethnic minority group on the staff, but there's, there's multiple people's perspectives are being heard, people are being challenged, people are dealing with the daily give and take of doing life together.
1: Yes. It's a slow, it's slow, hard work. And it's like I said, it's not perfect by any means, but man, the Lord is shaping up. And I think when I talk to people about this, one, it's really hard, especially as a black or brown person in a majority white space to do this. It's, it's a calling. So I think that it's definitely been a, a good, deep work here. A lot of things to consider, a lot of moving parts. And for churches that feel called and that are in neighborhoods and areas to, to be multi-ethnic, I think that they should pursue that.
0: And what I think is so important is that you are making your church, in a sense, a place where people feel welcome and they don't have to look like the church has looked historically to feel welcome. They don't have to assimilate or be something different. They are yeah. seen as the people of God, regardless of their background. That's right. I think this is a beautiful thing.
1: Yeah. Well, I appreciate that. And, and we're trying to want to do that while being biblically faithful and gospel centered and uh, holding on to our convictions as a church, Orthodox, and, and all the things that the Bible teaches while, while pressing in. What made the early church different, right, the first three centuries for Christians in Rome was that they broke out of these affinity groups. They were a fellowship of, of difference in terms of ethnic and class. And I think, as John Stott says, when you have a, a church, a congregation that is diverse in both class and ethnicity, it, it demonstrates the, the gospel powerfully.
0: And one thing I love about your church really standing up for truth in that neighborhood, I used to live in that neighborhood in 07, and some of the most real, honest people I've ever met in my life were there on Oak Street, you know? It's like, I mean, that was that was home for a while. Shelby Park neighborhood, man. And just to see people, because everyone knew Sojourn was there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Everyone Everyone knew it, but being like, well, that's a place where I can go. And I think The beauty is when we bring in people, this is what I've found, like when people have a variety of experiences from me, whether it's their ethnic background or their socioeconomic status or what have you, I end up ministering and being ministered to in ways that I would have never seen possible.
1: Yes. Yes. Yeah. When we surround ourselves with people who are different, especially Christians who like love Jesus and just are from a different cultural perspective, man, we learn so much about Jesus, right? And we learn so much about the church from different aspects and it's, it's really beautiful.
0: In our final moments, how would you encourage those who maybe have not embarked on this journey? Mm-hmm. Churches that may be mono-ethnic. How would you encourage them?
1: Yeah, first, I want to say is just read the Gospels and to see that Jesus came, read the book of Acts to uh, form a multi-ethnic multi-social, economic, multi-generational church. And that demonstrates the, the, the power of the gospel. Second, if you have an opportunity to, man, I really would encourage you to read our book, In Church As It Is In Heaven. It's nuanced a lot more there. And you can hear what we're saying in the work and what we're not saying, because not every church can be multi-ethnic. Not every church should. Some churches have not done the work that they need to, to be able to welcome people from different ethnicities and, and different cultures. And you can actually end up doing more harm uh, to people, even unaware, than, than you intend. So you can read our book, you can read books like Conversations About Race by Isaac Adams, Redemptive Kingdom Diversity by Jarvis Williams, anything on the subject written by Derwin Gray. There's so many great resources, gospel Center resources to do that. And then third is just to seek the face of the Lord and to see what's the very next step that you can do to grow in your awareness as well as in your congregation's awareness so that they can say, like, Paul, I've become all things to all people so that I might reach some. Jamal, I'm
0: going to make sure to put that in the show notes. And so you'll have a link to Jamal's new book. Check it out. Thank you so much for joining me, man.
1: It's my joy. Thank you for having me, brother.
0: If you are interested in more stories like this one, buy my book, Vulnerable Rethinking Human Trafficking. Also, if you want bonus content, you can click on the link in the show notes to access our new and improved weekly bonus podcast, More Mercy, where I dive deeper into each episode. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button and leave MercyCast a five-star review. I want to hear from you. You can email me at info at This podcast is brought to you by Let My People Go. To learn more about how you can love your most vulnerable neighbors through your own vulnerability, go to lmpg.org. Till next time, have mercy on yourselves and each other.